Hello and welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. Today is just me. We are continuing the daily podcasts as a part of our 2016 Pledge Drive. If you haven't already, please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. We're asking that all of our thousands of listeners become patrons of the podcast by going to patreon.com. If enough of you become patrons of the podcast, we will do episodes every day and put a lot more effort into each episode. So uh, just to give you a little taste of what it would be like to listen to the podcast every day, uh, we are doing daily podcasts for a bit. (laughs) Today I thought I would read emails. Uh, This was written by patron April. Patron April writes, Hey Kirk, I just became a patron and love your podcast. I've been binge listening while I go about my household chores and random other stuff. Well, thank you so much, patron April. We love you so much. I do the same thing. When I do household household chores, I listen to podcasts as well. Things like Radio Lab and and This American Life and uh, the Pop Culture Podcast or what's that podcast called? (laughs) Something about culture. Anyway, she goes on to say, I have a request for a topic. I want to know why Finn, John John Boyega's character in... TFA or The Force Awakens, I want to know why Finn rebels against the First Order, despite a lifetime of supposed brainwashing and training to be a stormtrooper. What is it that could cause someone to just drop everything they've known? I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Well, that is a very interesting question. There's a lot of misunderstanding regarding brainwashing out there. And there isn't a lot of really good data given uh, the question because uh, Finn was supposedly at birth or something at an early age was given to the First Order and made into a stormtrooper. So we, you know, perhaps there's some data that we might, some case studies we, we might be able to call upon like cults or something. But, but in general, it's hard to know the uh, statistics on such behavior. We, what we see in the movie is, as far as we know, Finn is the only stormtrooper that r- went against his, his training. All the other stormtroopers are fully into it and, and blindly just killing people. And I would say that that's pretty consistent with human behavior in our history. You can look, you don't have to look very far to see cases in our culture and our history in which people have been indoctrinated into a ideology that involves uh, doing things that would be probably very much against their normal nature, such as killing innocent people, as we see in the beginning of the, the new Star Wars movie. So, uh, but it also makes sense that some people would rebel against that and what because the thing is is people have a natural sense of fairness and a natural desire to empathize with other people and a natural empathy for other people it's it's actually counter to our nature to harm other human beings now there's other parts of our nature that compel us to harm other people but but in general 
for the most of us, for us non-psychopaths particularly, it's very hard for us to actually harm other people. It's very traumatic. It, it produces a lot of, uh, shall we say, negative brain processes as we uh, move towards harming other people. You might have had this experience if you see someone on the street fall down and you don't think it's funny. You actually think they've you know, broken skin and they're bleeding or something. You might actually feel the pain in your body. I do this. When I, when I see I, – uh, here's a little secret for everybody. I like to watch those fail videos sometimes on online, fail army or whatever it's called. And – I, I don't know what the fascination is with these videos, but I find them to be entertaining. But when people actually get hurt in those videos, it's really hard for me to watch. It, I feel a physical pain. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that at least one of the stormtroopers in Star Wars can't go on with the order to kill a bunch of innocent people. For instance, there's many stories of Nazi soldiers having a conscience during World War II. They were under strict orders to do horrible things, and they uh, rebelled. They did things against their, their orders. And they were, to some extent, indoctrinated into a similar cultural notion that Jews aren't people and that if you're not Aryan or you're not German, you're subhuman and deserve to die. So perhaps not as severe as the stormtroopers, which is funny to say out loud <laughs> that the Nazis were not as programmed as the stormtroopers were. But you know what I mean? I mean, they, you know, it's not like the Nazis took all the children at, at a very young age and, and trained them to be soldiers, although there were some of that. It's certainly in the culture. There were young Nazi organizations that actually predated the rise of Nazism. But anyway, the point is, is that there are stories of people going against their, their orders because of compassion for no other reason other than their sense of fairness. They, in fact, would be punished, and many were, for going against their orders and having compassion for the quote-unquote enemy. So there, there's plenty of examples of that. There's also plenty of examples of people going along with the terrible atrocities without any question at all. So uh, for a lot of reasons, not necessarily because they're psychopaths, but because once you're indoctrinated into a, an ideology that believes that a certain group of people aren't really people or deserve to die, then you start believing that and you stop having compassion for those people because they're not actual people. In fact, one of the main tactics that organizations or cults or countries or governments will do to get people to uh, divorce themselves from their compassion for the enemy is to make those people subhuman, to make them not human. Most people once, you know, if you're on all, if for most of us, we don't live on farms and don't slaughter animals. And so if you were to slaughter a sheep or a goat or a cow or something, you would probably be horrified. But by the 10,000th chicken that you've slaughtered, you no longer care because you don't really have compassion for those animals. Now, you know, there's certainly some people that after the 10,000th chicken, they still have compassion, but... 
But for, for people that grow up on farms, they would know what I'm talking about. Or hunters, for instance. Once you do it a number of times and you realize, oh, okay, there's us humans and then there's those other creatures, then you don't care as much and because you don't empathize. You don't identify with them as much. And so when you want a group of people to start killing another group of people – you need to get them to believe that those other group of people aren't really people. They're not like you. They're, they're below you. They're even animals to some extent. And that's what groups of people do. And perhaps that's what the stormtroopers are doing. Maybe we'll know more about the backstory on that in the future. Since a new movie is coming out every year, I'm guessing we'll, we'll learn more about that whole situation. All right, let's read another email. All right, patron Lyndon wrote in, our famous patron Lyndon who has written in very many times. He writes here. He always has great emails and great questions. He says, I wondered if sometime you guys might do something along the lines of the evolutionary psychology episode, but with regard to abuse of psychology, abuse of psychological terms, or bad psychological sense, bad psychological science in the media, like what things are your pet peeves, what you think is harmful, what you think is general, what you think in general is unprofessional or unbefitting for a clinician. I know with a subject like that, there is a risk of coming across like someone who has a stick up their ass. And you can always argue that the more psychology people know, the better, even if it is pop psych or inaccurate. Yeah, this is a great question, patron Linden. Um, Let me think off the top of my head here. So off the top of my head, I can say the following pet peeves about reporting of science and psychology in the media. The first is, is the overemphasis on brain science. Certainly the brain is a major part of our psychology. And the more we know about the brain, the more we understand about ourselves and our psychology. However, the science regarding the brain is very rudimentary at this point. In 50 years, they are going to look back on our current science of the brain and laugh their asses off, at, particularly at the sort of things we were saying. There are things that you can look back on, you know, say, let me see if I can go back far enough in time, say like uh, I don't know, a couple hundred years, maybe a hundred years ago, they, they started to develop telescopes, for instance, and at first, when they let me think of I can think of a good example, uh, when when we first saw Mars without telescopes, we thought it was a star, and then we started thinking about it more more scientifically and with more data and with telescopes and whatnot. We said, oh, actually, they're planets, and they're in our solar system. They're like they're like Earth, and but they were just dots of light in the sky. And then over time, with better technology, with optics, we began to actually see the surface of Mars, but in a very blurry way. They're very blurry images. And when you look at Mars through a very blurry telescope, it looks like there are long lines going across the surface of the planet. They're, in fact humongous Grand Canyon structures, but to the wishful thinking of the observer, they believed they were uh, not man-made, but alien-made, Martian-made structures. They were 
they were conduits for transportation or something. They were roads or they were tubes or they were some kind of some kind of uh, artificial made structure that was connecting the entire planet. And a lot of people believed that. Respectable people were hypothesizing that. Now, to everyone's ears today, from five years to, you know, you, you don't, it doesn't take a, an educated person. You can be just a regular person on the street. And you would laugh your ass off at that. You would say, well, just because you saw lines going across the surface of Mars, why would you just assume that that was artificial and, and proof that there are Martians living on Mars? I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, in 50 years, children with almost no education are going to hear statements that we're saying about the brain today, and they're going to laugh their ass off because the understanding of the brain will be so much more uh, progressed with better ways of measuring, with uh, breakthroughs and understanding, but particularly in the technology of measuring. Right now, the ability to measure what's happening in the brain is extremely rudimentary. We are very, very similar to the example with Mars. We are looking at the brain through a very blurry telescope, and we are seeing global patterns, but we are not seeing what we eventually will need to see and, and will likely see, which is the, the interactions happening on the neuronal level, individual cells communicating uh, in real time. This sort of technology is, is not here yet. We might not even be, understand the brain once we get to that point. We might need to understand the nature of the cell itself, which is very complex. I mean, just think about when you look at the brain, you have these cells that communicate electrical signals to each other. How in the world does that uh, produce the, the complexity of the human experience it's a very strange uh, translation, right? So, so anyway, uh, I, I, it, it's a pet peeve of mine when not only scientists, because the other thing is, is scientists are trying to hold on to their jobs. You know, scientists aren't doing this for uh, necessarily the good of society. They're they're doing this for their jobs. They they need to get funding, or they need to hold on to their tenure or something. And so they're not going to report studies and results that say nothing. They're going to want to say, look what I found. This is awesome. And then, of course, the media wants a story, which is another motivated reasoning thing. When you're a writer and you write an article, you need to get people to read it, and you need to get editors to approve it for publication. And in order to do that, you need to, you need to exaggerate. So not only do you have the researchers exaggerating, but you have the the media exaggerating, and then you have the people exaggerating it in their minds because it isn't it more uh, comforting to know that scientist that science is more advanced than it actually is. It's much more comfort, and I've found this to be true with lots of people, very smart people. I've had this debate with them. I've said you realize that our brain science is very rudimentary at this point. They'll get into arguments with me about that. They'll say, no, 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 we know all sorts of things. And I say, yeah, I, we know those things, absolutely. And I commend 
the scientists that are doing that work. Without the work they're doing today, we won't have the work that they'll do eventually. And there's been a lot of breakthroughs already that have helped us tremendously. There have been a lot of things that have been wonderful. However, we are dealing with extremely rudimentary things. Let me give you an example. Recently, the hoverboard came out, right? And everyone's calling, you know, there's a time when everyone was like, oh, there's a hoverboard. And da 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 da. Now we, we finally have a hoverboard. We don't have a freaking hoverboard. <laughs> One, the, I think the product that's called the hoverboard is just like a Segway. It's just, it's like a, it's a, it's something that is attached to the ground with wheels. How can you call that a hoverboard? It's not hovering at all. It's, it's a two wheeled device like a Segway. And then the hoverboard hoverboard that actually hovers is that technology has been around for a long time, but you need, I believe you need superconductors with a lot of electric, no, maybe not. It's just magnetism and, and you need it to be extremely cold. And it, and it, I think it only works over, I should have read more on this, but I know that it need, you need very specific uh, si- uh, situation in order for that thing to hover. I believe it needs to be very cold, and I believe you also need to be over a metallic surface. So we don't have hoverboards yet. That's a ridiculous term. We have something that floats above another thing, and we've had that for a long time, even at room temperature with magnets. So it's not a hoverboard. <laughs> but people want to believe. We want to believe that things are moving forward. And so so you have exaggerating scientists, exaggerating uh, people who write about the science, and you have exaggerating listening, shall we say. And this is a huge pet peeve of mine. And again, when I bring this up to people, I, find, I, f- I feel like I'm being a big party pooper. Uh, I'm always the party pooper when it comes to this sort of stuff. And so, you know, th- things like statements you'll see in the media are things like, we found the place in the brain where blank happens. And to some extent, you can say that certain areas of the brain are associated with certain experiences or processes. But again, in 50 years, they're going to laugh at those statements, probably because they're going to say, there's no one place in the brain where that particular thing happens. That particular thing is distributed throughout the brain. And one part of the process is, seems to be centralized in this area, but the but the experience of the of that thing it happens in various parts of the brain, and they all work in concert. In fact, a lot of brain scientists are saying that today uh, already. Also, another thing you'll see in the media are we now know why you blank. You know, they'll say we now know why you become addicted to things. This is a ridiculous statement. That they don't know why we become addicted to things. They have data uh, as to certain. Uh, areas in the brain that light up more than others. And that tells us something. It definitely tells us something. But there's there we don't have the answer to the question, why do you become addicted to heroin? Why does one person become addicted to heroin and the other person not? We don't have the answer to that question. That is a too complex of a question for our science today. And I get into arguments with Umberto about this all the time because he's one of those people, in my opinion, <laughs> That would that that wants to believe that science is further down the road than it actually is. Science has certainly come a long way. Uh, for instance, with optics, seeing we can now see Mars very very well, and we can have rockets and probes actually land on the 
surface of Mars and take pictures of the surface very close up. So we, we've certainly come a humongously long way in that area. But when it comes to the brain, this, this squishy gelatin substance that's in our skull that produces everything from, you know, th- the experience of thirst to the experience of love to the ability to contemplate the universe, this, this jelly that does all that is extremely uh, difficult for us to measure and understand. And so it's like some people say, it's the truly the last frontier of our science. Anyway, another pet peeve of mine is genetic science being overblown in the media. Again, you have exaggerating scientists, you have exaggerating media people, and you have exaggerating listeners. And things like, we found the gene for blank. Because wouldn't it be wonderful if the DNA was designed in such a way that a certain section of your DNA programmed a particular thing? Like, this is where your 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 sense of identity comes from, <laughs> or this is where your intelligence comes from, for instance. These genes don't exist. The reality is, is again, life is extremely complex, and genetics is extremely complex. And we've we found certain genetic uh, factors involved in certain things, but simple things, again, like intelligence, appear to be way, way more complicated than just saying we found the gene for blank. But if you search online, you will find news articles that will say we found the gene for for intelligence, for IQ, and you know now this means we might be able to insert uh, smarter genes into the DNA of children to, to make a super race of intelligent people. This is a ridiculous statement. Now, maybe one day we, and I'm guessing we will, be absolutely able to increase the intelligence of the human race by manipulating genes. But but we are far, far from that understanding. And so, but if you ask the average person on the street, my guess is, given the way the media portrays it, if we understand the genetics of intelligence, if we have found the the gene for intelligence, my guess is, is people say, "Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure scientists have found that by now." So, uh, so again, that that's another pet peeve of mine. I don't know why it's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I guess uh, it's just, I guess uh, I don't know why things like that bother me. Certainly, when I rant about it with my friends, they all kind of look at me like, why does this bother you? (laughs) Why do you concern yourself with such things? But it does. Um, Let's see. Another pet peeve of mine of media and the sciences is studies being overblown. For instance, one study with with a sample size of 50 will be conducted, and they'll find a finding, and the media will get a hold of it. And they will say, science has now proven X. Science, uh, among the vast majority of hypotheses, does not work that way. You need multiple studies from multiple researchers. You need uh, a lot of data. You need a lot of angles of investigation. There are a lot of reasons why one particular study's findings are not actually valid to uh, the overall uh, 
phenomenon. I won't go into detail on that, but that's another pet peeve of mine. Let me give an example. The, the theory of evolution is not based on one study. It's based on tens of thousands of studies from several different areas of science and multiple, multiple uh, researchers and scientists coming from different backgrounds and different points of view. And the theory of evolution is, is rock solid. It's airtight. There are other areas in our science that are almost uh, only researched by one person. And you can't base your idea of a particular phenomenon on one person's research. You have to have several people with their own different biases uh, coming through and their different methods. And so anyway, uh, it's just another pet peeve of mine is, is uh, people and the media basing uh, a conclusion on, on even uh, one to five uh, studies. Anyway, another huge um, uh, pet peeve of mine, particularly now in the political world, is a lack of contextual understanding or lack of historical understanding. Let me just give one example, and I hate to get political, but the whole idea that Trump is saying about let's, let's, make, let's make America great again. This is a ridiculous statement um, because if you really understand the history of the United States and really understand not just the white history, but the brown history too, the brown people history, once you understand the, the history of the United States, even just for the past 50 years, but, but going back 200, 300 years, you understand that this statement doesn't make any sense because America has never been great. <laughs> America has had problems from the beginning. And that's another thing that, that drives me crazy. People say, oh, crime, you know, the world today. And it's like, actually, no, crime is down in America. Or, oh, with all the wars in, in the world today. It's like, no, actually, in, if you look at this, all you got to do is look at statistics and you will see that we are in an incredible time of general peace. And people will, you know, look at me like, oh, my God, how, do, how dare you say that, there's peace in the world today. What about all the people that are dying? Don't you care? And I'll say, of course I care. And how dare you accuse me of not caring? Of course I care. But when you, when you understand history, you understand that the world is actually much overall, in general, much more safe. Now, there are definitely wars going on, people. But when you understand history, you understand that the world has seen much, much, much worse problems in the past with regards to all the things that we complain about today. Crime, sexism, racism, war, uh, all those things have been worse, and worse in the past by every metric, okay? And so when people talk about making America great again, it's like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about we go back to when Americans locked up my relatives, my Japanese relatives in prison camps, just because they were Japanese Americans? These were American citizens being locked up. Is this the great America you want to go back to, you idiot? <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So another uh, thing that drives me crazy is a lack of statistical understanding and reporting. So when you learn about statistics, you realize, one, how stupid 
you are, because, or at least me, when I study, even though I love math, and that was actually perhaps my strongest subject growing up, when I study the statistics of research, I realize how complicated this is. It is extremely complicated and elusive. And just as an example, it drives me crazy when I hear uh, the media reporting that men are this and women are that. And then you actually look at the study and you find that when they study the particular factor variable, they find that 51% of men are this and 49% of women are that. And when you actually take into the consideration the variance in the findings, it's, it, they're virtually the same. Men and women are virtually the same. And so uh, this drives me up the wall because not only is it inera- inaccurate, but these reports often will further particular cultural notions that are destructive to our society and to individuals particularly around gender and race and age and this sort of thing. And so, so yeah, uh, the, the ability to understand statistics and the ability to understand the difference between significance and validity and reliability and, and effect size and degrees of freedom and the, if, if the study's been replicated or not and all this sort of stuff, it, it drives me crazy. This one is probably the worst because there's so much science that is reported, and when you actually read the study, almost let me let us put it this way: almost all the time when I find a news article that intrigues me, and I actually read the study, I find that the media has completely overblown the findings. And the message that is given to the public is a massive misunderstanding of what the study actually found. Not only because the media is doing this, but also because the researchers do this. Like I said, researchers have a, have a job to do. They have to get money. And the way they get jobs and the way they get funding is by finding things that are interesting. And if they don't find anything, then they could be out of a job. They could, they could lose their funding for their next project. And so they, they, they're motivated to, to do that. And, um, and, you know, as a researcher myself, I can say that I am guilty of that. I definitely was biased toward finding more interesting things. I could have easily, with my qualitative study downplayed everything and said, well, you know, I could have, like every other paragraph, I could have emphasized the fact that I could be making this all up because of my interpretation and my bias. I didn't do that. I I left it to the end. I definitely talked about it as a responsible researcher. But I wanted people to walk away from reading my study or from listening to my presentation with an idea that I found something that I discovered something interesting. And so I know what that feels like. And so the res- other researchers, I'm just guessing, are, are guilty of that. And the media are guilty of that. And then, of course, listeners are guilty of, of exaggerated listening and with a lack of understanding of statistics, which I don't blame the general public for because statistics are extremely complicated. What I, the people I blame are the researchers and the media 
you might say, well, why would you blame the media? I mean, what are they supposed to know? Well, in the old days, you had you had writers and journalists that specialized in science, and those were the guys and women that actually reported on science. You didn't have random journalists like today reporting on science. You had specialized journalists that knew how to interpret studies. They might have been scientists themselves. So they knew how to talk the talk. And today, you don't really have that so much anymore. You have many, many more journalists online writing about all sorts of things that they have no idea what they're talking about. So it is the journalist's responsibility to understand what they're reading and to report responsibly. For instance, a a good – and there are still uh, responsible scientific journalists out there – what a, what a good journalist does is, is they would read this study and they would understand the statistics and then they would write a, a critique of it or something. They would report what the researchers are trying to report, but they would also perhaps critique it and say, well, uh, this researcher says this, but actually after reading this study, da-da-da. And so that's, that's responsible writing. Or the the journalist would put it in words that people understand. For instance, instead of saying men are this, women are that, the the journalist would say something like, looks like men and women are the same with a slight small difference between men and women it looks like or something like that. So, yeah. So those are my pet peeves. Uh, apparently off the top of my head, I have a lot of, of pet peeves. Um. So let me know what your pet peeves are, or if these are similar pet peeves. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. Again, that's patreon.com. Go to the Psychology in Seattle page and become a patron. You'll get access to our exclusive episodes and know that your pledge, part of it, goes toward charities that we support. All right, please take care of yourself because... You very much deserve it.